Mark 13, 1 through 8. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what, a, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will... There, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet, for the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Morning. I was only semi-joking about feeling entitled to spring. I, uh, I'm amazed at how quickly, I don't know about you, but I can become used to this. And I woke up this morning and it was 32 degrees and I thought, what's wrong? What's wrong? With it? And you know, I looked on the, the average temperature for this time, it's 30. We're still above average. And like, but you know, I become so used to because change is Something that, at least for me, some of y'all embrace it maybe more than I do, but when I can get used, I'm amazed at how used to something I can become. And God seems to be in a, in a season for us as a body and for me personally where just change is the norm. If you came in this, this morning, you may have seen a sign outside that said, you know, building available for sale and condo. And our landlord, you know, has, has been planning to do a construction project over this next year. And our lease runs out in a year and a half. And so the idea of we were kind of thinking we would continue on here, but we don't know. And that, I don't know about you, but that always goes, whoa, okay, God, you're on the move. We've got some things going on where Nancy, my wife, who's been leading the youth for a number of years, really feel like God's calling her to step back and that God's maybe going to, we're going to hire someone else to step in. And again, for me, after seven years, I go, whoa, because I'm, I like things to just be like the same. It's great for me when it's the same. And then lots of little things, you know, we'll be, Nancy and I, after Easter, we'll be going on sabbatical for a few weeks. And you may think, well, that sounds great. But for me to think about just silence and, and solitude coming before the Lord, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get nervous. Like, I gotta do stuff. And so, and so again, you know, change, change, change. And so, just as we move forward, I don't know about your life, but, you know, as I mark birthdays, as I mark seasons of life, change is inevitable. There's only one non-changeable, really. And, and it's the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's part of our Christian faith and heritage is that change in our culture, wow, it's moving fast. Change in my life, moving fast. We've got to cling to one who never changes. This morning, Jesus brings up as his disciples are marveling at this beautiful temple that they're walking through. And Jesus says, Change is right around the corner such as you've never seen or heard. Let's take a little picture. There's a, there's a idea. People have ideas about what this temple looked like. Brian did a great job last week and he, he talked about the woman who gave the, uh, 
copper coins and, and looking at that. And he put up a picture of the temple. And this is another rendering based on the descriptions we have, both in the Bible and extra biblical literature, of Herod's temple, which was considered an architectural marvel. It sits on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Uh, now that same area has several mosques on it. It's Muslim controlled. But in the days that where Jesus was, this would have been what they would have seen. And the different courts and inner courts all were built uh, to specification. And that larger building kind of in the top part of it, uh, going into the Holy of Holies, the whole idea of the temple was that this is where Jewish people accessed God's presence. The priest would function as an intermediary taking in uh, uh, a sacrifice once a year into this holy place to atone for the sins of the people. Sacrifices were happening continually for a variety of reasons, both sacrifices for sin and, and other reasons. And so there was just a, a, a hubbub of activity going on, and, and Jews felt very proud of this temple. Herod had put a lot of money into it for his own reasons as a construction project. But uh, so as we begin our scripture, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark 13. And uh, Jesus is, is coming out of the temple, it says. And even that, that may just seem like a locational change, but it's quite significant. This will be the last time Jesus will be in the temple. He leaves the temple. He never comes back. His trial did not take place in the temple. What will happen in about 48 hours happens at Caiaphas' house. It's not in the temple grounds. This is the last time the light of the temple, the reason for the temple, leaves the temple. And so the disciples come, verse 1, and they say, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. So this, uh, that temple area plus the surrounding, they were on the Temple Mount area, and they were just marveling at, uh, at the, the architecture of it. And Jesus says, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In 70 A.D., Titus would come in because of the first Jewish revolt, which began in 66 A.D. For a four-year span, uh, the Jew Jewish population was not happy about taxation. It ended up being uh, a revolution. Rome came in and crushed it. And uh, the Emperor Vespasian's son Titus came in and led a complete destruction of Jerusalem. And he went right to the temple area, and he demolished it. And it says that he took it down where there wasn't a stone left on another. That's from Josephus and extra-biblical writings. He just completely... Do you know when Mark was written, right? We, we went, if you go back to our very first one, Mark was written, they think, sometime between 68 and 70 A.D., the, the war had been going on since 66. They would have been reading these words. The, the Christians in Rome and in other places for whom this book was written would have been reading these words as the siege of Jerusalem would have been underway. It was a several-year siege because there was fighting going on at every level. It wasn't until 70 that the temple was utterly destroyed. But this book easily, the circulation of the writing of this would have been at the time that this would have actually been occurring. So again, keep this in mind, that for us it's ancient history. As Jesus speaks it, the disciples can't conceive of this architectural marvel going down, and yet Jesus, in his divine prophetic ministry, says, guys, change is coming. And even beyond the architectural of the demolishment of a beautiful building, we have to understand the reason for the temple is changing completely. 
What's the reason for the temple? It's access to God and it's to make sacrifice for sin. And the book of Hebrews tells us completely that this is going to be done away with. There is no more need for a temple because access to God after Jesus Christ dies is now open to all who believe in him in faith. There's no need for a sacrifice for sin. That the one high priest who would goes in now is replaced by an inclusive high priest who takes us with him into the very presence of God. So the whole reason for the temple is being demolished as he walks out for that last time. They don't understand this, obviously. And again, we have the benefit of thousands of years of hindsight, which they didn't. But let's see this, right, as he's speaking. They go down the hill, the, the Valley of Kidron's just, just below the, the Temple Mount, and they walk up the Mount of Olives on the other side, and they're looking. They're gonna be, you, you look right over this area from the Mount of Olives, and they're probably looking right opposite the Temple, starting in verse 3, and four of his closest disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, ask him, tell us, when will these things be? These, this, demolishing of the temple, this this destruction, these changes, and what are the signs when these things are about to come? I'm sure they're quite interested. How soon is this going to be happening? And Jesus gives um, in this, uh, it's framed by two thoughts. There's only two teachings in the book of Mark that are lengthy teachings. Mark 4, where he talks about the sower, and the theme of that is to uh, hear with your ears. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So all through that discourse, he talks about listen, but not with these ears. Listen with your spiritual ears. In this discourse in Mark 13, this lengthy piece about what's coming, he says, watch. Keep your eyes open. The most very, very common Hebrew word, uh, well, Greek word, blepo, is the word to look, to see, to be attentive. And he says it several times through here. And then he says, look and don't be fooled. If you have your eyes open, you won't be fooled. That's sort of the, the thematic part that he, he says this. And here's the specifics that he gives us in this. He says, here's what's coming. And he says... In verse 5, see that no one leads you astray. This is this, don't be fooled. Number one, many are going to come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. So the first thing he told them to watch for is false prophets, false messiahs, people who would um, feed false hopes. And Jesus' answer for that is you've got to discern realities that lie beyond what you see with your physical eyes. Okay? So not everyone who claims to do something in my name is doing something in my name, right? This is not only true now, guys, not only true then, guys, it's true now. There are many, many people who will use the name of God, use the name of Jesus casually, and wrap themselves in his name. And I hope we're all wise enough and discerning enough to know that anyone who says that doesn't necessarily mean they're speaking God's word and they're speaking truth. Number two, he says, here's another sign of, of this, this impending event. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. So Jesus talks about the distractions of life that fuel false fears. And he says, you're listening for all these rumors of what's going to happen. And he says, you get afraid and you get distracted about what's happening. Now, 
I'm sure that doesn't happen at all today, right? Nobody watches anything that would blare at us to try to get us distracted, right? Can I just tell you, my life has gotten a whole bunch better since I've decreased my consumption of our current news environment. And I don't mean just to me in the past few months. I mean in the past few years. I get my news from a variety of sources. I'm not ignorant of what's going on. But we live in a society where wars and rumors of wars, so to speak, where people will blare at you. I mean, their job is to get you to watch, right? And so can I just say, I think there's a lot of wisdom in considering reducing your consumption of things that don't feed God's presence in your life. Just ask yourself this. After I watch, do, see, whatever, do I feel more in love with Jesus, more the fruit of the Spirit, more, you know, there are plenty of ways to get your wars and rumors of wars information. Be wise and be judicious, okay? So, Listen and be discerning about those who claim to speak in the name of God. Be wise and discerning about things that would fuel fear. Okay? So these are Jesus talking about, and this is very general in a sense. He's talking about what's a sign that this event, this, this, this temple being destroyed is coming. And then third, he says this, when you begin to sense all this, the baby's not here yet, it's just the birth pangs. That's what we finished with in verse 8. Now, for those of us who've had children, right, the first child is the one when the first twinge comes, at least as, as the father, I'm thinking, let's get to the hospital. You just felt, you know, have you ever heard of Braxton Hicks, right? These, these false things. I mean, literally with our, with Laura, we could have gone to the hospital 10 times. I mean, back and forth and back and forth because they were real pains. Nancy was truly feeling pain, right? But it wasn't what she was going to experience. Okay? Let me be absolutely clear so that no one has any doubt about this. The Christian life is not built to make you happy and without pain and without suffering and without any discomfort. It is never promised. Right? There are birth pangs. The thing that got us through Several, three non-medicated births, which Nancy, was Nancy's choice, not mine, <laughs> was this thought. You're going to be holding your baby soon. That was what she wanted me to tell her when the pain was increasing. You're going to see your daughter soon. She's almost here. I see the crown of the head. I see her. That's what she wanted. That brought her the strength to continue to go. Jesus says, remember, there's hope in enduring through the pain because you're going to see the one who created you and loves you beyond all reason. And so take heart. Is it, it may be tough. And we don't know what we're going to live through individually with problems and things that may happen in our lives. We just don't know what's coming but we know this, that there's endurance and there's hope because even through the change and even through the temples getting destroyed, if we focus on the one who is going to be there and unchangeable, there is strength to be found. So let me just say this. I, I've read a, a lot about this. There's, I, I believe, and I'll just say it like that because it's, it's hard to be conclusive about this, but if you read Mark 13 up to verse 23, this seems to be talking about the event that occurred in the first century A.D. You will hear people preaching on this, definitively saying these events are talking about 
the end times, when Jesus returns for a second time. I think there's good reason to believe that that does not occur until the second half of Mark. The reason I say this is that um, in uh, verse 20, he says, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. He also talks about things like, alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants, pray that it won't happen in winter. Be ready to flee into the mountains of Judea. It's quite specific. And in that day and time, as the Romans would have been attacking, there would have been good reason not to be in Jerusalem and to go other places within the country that would have been safer for raising children. I, I, I've heard and heard taught this idea that, you know, uh, maybe you shouldn't get pregnant because we're in the last days. And I think this is really a very specific idea. He also says there will be some of you who will see this, that this generation won't pass away until it's occurred. And certainly in 70 AD, some who would have been listening to this would, would still be alive. We know John was, and and others perhaps too. So I think there's things to be gleaned and and heard from this, but it but Jesus says in verse 23, be on your guard, I've told you these things beforehand. Then in verse 24, he seems to shift to an idea of what will come at the end of all time, which is a little different ball game because we don't know what's coming. Let me just read you a little bit of this. It talks about a, a cataclysm of nature. This is verse 24. In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. It's somewhat poetic language, but definitely seems to be talking about something more than just that period of time. Now, verse 32 is important. It says, concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So let me just say, I've said this again, please, 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 I've already had at least 10 times I can note in my life of predictions of when Jesus is coming back. Jesus says very clearly, he didn't even know in his human form. He says, only God the Father knows. Unlike the signs you can read of troubled times, which, by the way, have been going on a long time. Uh, we, have, we live in a, in a great gap period between when this was written and now, and there's been many troubles in life, and there will be, is that if you're looking at this as somewhat of a, of a mystery, a puzzle, a horoscope, that you can figure out the date, please don't. The Bible's pretty clear that you won't be able to, and you shouldn't, because it will come like a thief in the night. This is the part you can't predict. So why would he even say this? Because I think the encouragement is in this. This is a call to faith, it's a call to endurance, and it's a call to hope when things aren't easy. And there are going, if your life is, is going swimmingly well, I'm thrilled for you, I truly am. But if your life is falling apart or you're facing uncertainty like never before, can I tell you there's a reason to hope and endure? Because God knows the hour and the day of His salvation, whether He's coming a second time or whether it's for you specifically in answering your prayers and requests. The point of this, I'm going to read to the end. Be on your guard, verse 33 of chapter 13. Keep awake. Remember, see, be discerning, stay awake. 
For you do not know when the time will come. When Nancy and I were flying from Shreveport to Charlotte for a church, whether we would make good church planters conference, uh, we were going along in a blue sky. The Everything was clear. We were in a relatively small plane. We had Benjamin was a baby, so we took him with us. And we were just, you know, I mean, it's just perfect days to fly looking out the window until the engine stopped. Then it wasn't such a perfect day to fly. It was a good day to fall, but we fell several thousand feet within just a few seconds. And the plane, nothing went wrong. Just Okay. I'm just telling you it was no fun. I'm just telling you, you know, you want to think you just had, like in that moment, you're just thinking everybody fell forward, the stewardesses went forward, the baby, we were holding Benjamin, and we, we all just, and you could hear the collective gasps and the hormones and whatever just rising up in you, just figuring what is happening here. And in about four seconds, it leveled off and it, came back and we were all waiting to hear that word from the captain, right? This is your captain speaking. Everything is fine. And there was no word. And my heart was in my throat. I didn't know what was coming. It was completely out of the blue. And then finally he said, I'm so sorry. These Canadian regional jets sensed a plane too near to us. We thought it was plenty far away. And it did a a maneuver that took over and maneuvered us away. Okay, I guess I can live with that. (laughs) The point being this is that there will be a day when life will be smelling along smooth and you're going to have someone tell you something. You're going to get a word that is all of a sudden going to rock your world. And and Jesus is either going to be there or he's not. Or at least he'll be there in the sense of His presence, but whether you receive His comfort will be, can you receive His Word to you as He said, look, the temple may be demolished, but the reason for the temple is still there. And that the day when it falls and you just wonder, are you there for me, Lord? The question is yes. The question is Hope, endurance, and faith are part of this Christian life. And that when these people are reading the book of Mark as they're being persecuted in Rome, as this is the height of Christians being persecuted in that time period, and they're wondering, where are you, Lord? And he says, I'm with you in the arena. I'm with you as you're fleeing. I'm with you to the ends of the earth. I've never left you and never forsaken you. They needed that word, and so do I. In the end, God's way, God's Christ, God's people will be vindicated. But we don't know what that gap is. We just don't because we don't have a perfect road map of timetable. Please don't become an end times enthusiast, but don't become an end times apathy person either. I want to finish with a scripture related from 2 Peter because one of the men to whom Jesus spoke this gospel and we know that Peter was a key player in this, and people, as, as he's writing this book of Second Peter, the same questions are coming up about the day of the Lord. And he says, Peter says this, this is Second Peter chapter 3. I'll begin with verse 4. They will say, where is the promise 
of His coming. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing on as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed so long ago, and the earth was formed out of water through the and through water by the word of the Lord, and that by means of the, these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But at the same time, the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Don't overlook one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient. He wishes that none would perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away. Then the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. We don't know when those days are coming, but we know the One who knows. And that's a good thing. In the meantime, as we live in the in-between, we live in a time of trust, endurance, and faith. And we need His strength, and we need His comfort, and we need His peace. And so today, as we often do, we'll come to the table of the Lord, and we'll ask Him to remind us that what Jesus will experience just a few hours from the point we read now becomes the pinnacle and a pivotal moment in all of human history. And for us who do believe and are in faith, we need to constantly cling to the cross because that's the moment where everything changed, where the reason for the temple became our great high priest and was a sacrifice for us.